Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And John 13, 34, and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Good morning. Really good to be out with y'all today. Beautiful day. <clears throat> little polony, but that's part of what goes on with these uh, dogwoods and redbuds that are busting out. I love this time of year. So good to have you all here. Um, it's great to, to have Sherry here with us. and um, Great to see all these folks from the Healing Transition again. Really missed y'all. And I just really appreciate people like George and Kenny coming all through this time of COVID. And Michael and Cindy staying in touch with them. And just uh, you guys really bless us when you are here with us. And everybody who's here today visiting, just want you to know you're our honored guest. I know that sounds cliche, but we really mean it. <clears throat> the, um, the mission of God is to put his world back on track, basically. After all this world, together with the human beings that God commissioned to be his own image bearers, his little reflections, his mirrors out in the world that he made. This whole world was his creation, but it was derailed by sin. It was corrupted, it was distorted and twisted, and it stands in need of renewal. The agent that God uh, uses to renew his world is his divine word. When God created the heavens and the earth initially, he did so by speaking, right? And God said, let there be light. And God said, and God said, in each of the six days of creation. So the agent that was doing the creating was the word of God, the divine word, his speech. And just as God's word was what made the world at the beginning, God's word is what comes into the world to remake it in Jesus. No accident that the first few words of John 1, which is going to end up in verse 14 saying the word became flesh and dwelt among us the very first words are the exact same words in the greek as genesis 1 no difference at all if you were a greek-speaking jew in the first century and you got the gospel of john or early second century and you read those words you're gonna we've heard that in in synagogue every every day since you know i was a a, a little a little kid um, but now instead of saying god's making the heavens and the earth it culminates in jesus who is in fact new creation if anyone is in christ there is new creation, 2 Corinthians 5 will say. So the divine word is the agent by which God makes and remakes the world, by which he creates and newly creates. Now, we read that um, also the word when it became flesh dwelt among us, and we beheld what? God's glory. God's glory. I want to focus on that for a minute. Christ revealed the glory of God. And what we've been talking about in this short series is that Jesus gives us the same role, that of causing the world to see God's glory. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says that we are 
the light of the world, that his followers are the light of the world. And he says, when we let our light shine by engaging in the good works that God describes for us in his word, other people see these good works and they give what to our Father? Glory. So the same reason for which Jesus, the divine word, came into the world to, to, so that humans might behold the glory of God, we're given the same charge. Only we're doing it through, in this passage, good works. That's the light that causes people to see, that reflects the glory of God out to a broader world. So we're, no pressure, <laughs> we have the same job Jesus did. All right, now it's not by our own power or strength, it's because we're attached to the true light who came into the world, which is also something John 1 says about Jesus. But what we want to focus on and have been focusing on in this short series of lessons, today's the third and final of those, is that our good works, the practicing of God's ways or Christ's teachings before the watching eyes of the world are a form of preaching, if you will. We preach with practice, with just being present in the world and living like God's people. That is a form of preaching. And so that's why we've titled this little mini-series The Preaching of Practice and Presence. Kind of drawing on these metaphors that Jesus says, we are light to the dark world, we are salt to a world that is being ruined by sin. So today in the final installment of, of this little series, we're going to look at the kinds of good works that we are called to. The kind of conduct, the kind of commitments that we make as followers of Jesus that um, can be light to the world, a world that has gone dark with sin. Now, obviously, we could spend days and weeks listing out all of the good works that the Bible talks about. In the old, old law, there were 600 and something commandments. At least that's, somebody said that. I've never counted them. Um, I guess it depends on how you parse them out, too, how you apply them. But a lot. And then there's more in the New Testament. So there's a lot of works that, that we could say are good works as revealed by Scripture. So we're not going to try to you know, do an inventory today. That would be impossible. But maybe we can reduce them down to two or three broad categories of good works that glorify God. What are we generally talking about? If we're going to be people who are missional, who are sent, and one of the main ways we are sent is just to be the right kind of people and to practice in the presence of an onlooking world the ways of God, so that his glory is reflected. What are those works, broadly speaking? I want to talk about three of them today, the first of which is love. Love. Probably no real big surprise here. Love points people who are watching, if they've got an open heart and an open mind, to God, because it's a kind of love that the world doesn't have, and so it has to come from some other realm. It's got to come from outside this place, which is not exactly characterized by love. Is that a safe statement? hard in our own families to practice selfless love, much less, you know, nation to nation, race to race, uh, neighborhood to neighborhood, whatever, uh, you know, employee to employer, whatever other relationship you want to look at. Let's begin by looking at John 13. And as, if you got the email this week, you know that I'm asking you, this is to be an interactive uh, session today instead of just a, a lecture type sermon. So there'll be some questions here. And I hope if you thought about the things I emailed to you uh, or something comes to mind, you'll, you'll be willing to share Somebody will be running a microphone around. Please wait for the mic so that everybody can hear you. Um, there's people, you know, who are getting a, a, a live stream of this or a, something to that effect um, who, who will need to hear you as well. John 13. This is the Last Supper. And Jesus has just washed the feet of his disciples. And he says this. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. 
just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. I want to read one more. This is um, 1 Thessalonians 4, 9, and 10, 9 through 10, and then verse 12. Think about love for one another, love between the brothers and sisters of Christ and an onlooking world. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that, indeed, is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Right? So he says some other things in there, but I'm trying to draw the attention here to the point about brotherly love is something that he's saying outsiders will notice. Do it more and more. Abound in it. Like, let the brotherly love just come out of you. And people are going to notice. All right, first question then. What are some concrete ways, some practical, concrete, you know, on the ground kind of daily ways that our love for one another can point people to Jesus. You'll notice that I had a sign on that first PowerPoint. Love is pointing to God. What are ways in which our love can point people to Jesus? Any thoughts on this? Jake. I would say just in general, a posture of do, doing whatever you do and this is maybe not what you're asking for, but whatever you do, do it not looking for recognition. Mm -hmm. I think that sometimes catches people off guard, like, oh, he just did that because I don't know why. Mm -hmm. I need to ask because he wasn't doing it for popularity or, mm -hmm. for, or recognition. Right. That's really, really good because, I mean, who doesn't do good things for recognition? If you get something you know, out of it, Everybody does that. The most evil person in the world, if, if they know the world works that way, can do something in a contractual way. If I do this, I'll get this back. That's not special. But if, if it's a little weird in a good way, people might be intrigued enough to like hang around or look or even ask. Yep, great. Other ideas on this? Michael? Wheeler? <clears throat> so I think of that... Um people see the difference between people who are playing church versus people who are really followers of Jesus. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And Don over here. Um, I would just say the sacrificing for one another, you know, giving up your time, your, your money, your resources, loving each other in a way that when the outside world sees it, they're like, why are these people giving so much amongst themselves that they can't seem to fathom because in their own, outside of the body of Christ, like, that doesn't come to them. I mean, they might think about it, but mm -hmm. it's rarely ever done. Like, like Jake was saying, most of the time, the, the world outside, when they do good things, it's for the recognition. Right. Or that, that, that fake humility mm -hmm. um, that they... They get some, you know, they want the world to see what they're doing. Sure. Whereas, you know, within the body, with, especially within believers, we're supposed to give of ourselves sacrificially, you know, like without recognition, but because it's Christ did that for us. He gave sacrificially, and that was the love that he, the, that he showed us was the sacrifice of himself. So, 
Great. Let's just segue right off of that because that really brings up the next point. And really the next two um, things we want to talk about just stem from love. They, they are outgrowths of love. Love's really everything, right? It's the second great command or second half of the great command. Love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And the second liken to it is love your neighbors yourself. It's like a corollary. Um, so you really don't even love God if you don't love other people, you know. Um, that's what First John actually will explicitly say. So let's look at the next one. Um, service. And we could have put on here sacrificial service or selfless service because that's what we mean. This is what Don was referring to. If people see that, what impact does, does this have? I want to first of all just quickly, though, establish that being people who are executing or living out the mission of God does involve this to our neighbors. All right? Um, it's not just teaching. It's also serving. That's, that's a very missional thing to do. And I want to just biblically, we, I think Jake and I beat that to death in our class, but, you know, if you're taught something one way or led to think one way for 25 years and then somebody comes in in one quarter, it's not going to change, right? Old dogs and new tricks and all that, and I, me, me, me included. This is eminently biblical point, though. So look, this is an example of Jesus and what he did. Now, Peter is here, you know, talking about what Jesus did, but he says, as for the word that he sent to Israel, First of all, preaching good news. So mission definitely involves teaching and preaching, talking about Jesus. Preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. So I want to suggest to you that in Jesus' case, this, this divine word incarnate who came into the world to glorify God, to set the world right, to get it back on track, that what he did was basically two categories of activity. He taught and he served. Preaching good news and doing good and healing the oppressed. They're all around us. And I would suggest to you that if, if our missional sense excludes either one of these, we've only got a half-truth. And a half-truth is an error, right? If, if we're never preaching and teaching about Jesus and we're just doing good, then we're just social workers. They do that all the time, dedicate their lives to it, real selfless ways often. But if we're only preaching and teaching, it's all about information transfer. Let me give you a track. Let me give you data. Open your mouth, close your mouth, let me talk. I know everything. Here, boom. Let me cram this stuff down your throat. That, that is a very incomplete picture, biblically speaking. Jesus did more than that. He preached and he taught. Um, this echoes Luke 4, 18 and 19, which I ask you to think about. And let me get a reader. Who's got the mic? Where is the mic right now? You want to read this, Nick, for us? This is Luke 4, 18 and 19. Let me set the scene. This is Jesus coming to his home synagogue in Nazareth where he was reared. He basically announces that he's the Messiah, that he's here to bring kind of the, the, the year of Jubilee the proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. A lot of the language here actually comes from biblical texts in Isaiah about the year of Jubilee, which Israel never, uh, to all indications, practiced. That was the 50th year when everything set right, debts are re released and slaves are freed and all this stuff. They kind of reset society. Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm coming to embody that. This is a messianic announcement that he's beginning his ministry. Okay, Nick, read that, please. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, 
to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Okay, if we're talking about preaching and serving, or teaching and, and, and serving, what, do you, what phrases do you see in here, anybody, that would suggest either of those, that Jesus came to do both? Proclaim good news. There it is. Proclaim the gospel to the poor in particular in Luke 4. Luke is all about the poor, very much more than Matthew, Mark, and John, very socioeconomic stuff in Luke. But anyway, he's preaching. He's preaching. He's proclaiming things, and especially the good news. What about, does he just say, hey, I don't care about your, your physical status in life, your physical situation. If you're in pain and suffering, no, no, I don't care about all that. I just want you to have the right truth. Recovering of sight. He doesn't go, you're blind, deal with it. Here's a tract. Right? Get baptized for the right reason. I don't care if you're blind. That's on you, dude. He, that's not Jesus. He, he, he's healing people on almost every page. What else? That's a good one. Recovering of sight. What else? Set at liberty the oppressed. And you go back and look at some of the things said in Isaiah about this, and Proverbs, and Job. This is one of the marks of God's character. He cared about the orphan and the widow and the sojourner, the immigrant, and the poor, the, the, the four that are usually identified. In fact, God often identifies himself that way in the Old Testament. I am Yahweh, the God of the, and he lists the, three or four of those, those categories. It's a lot like the identification, I am the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt. You know, it identifies with the Exodus that Greg talked about earlier. God identifies himself that way. Think about how you identify yourself. You know? Um... I am Daniel the doctor. I am Randy the foodie, you know. I am Stephen the builder, football coach, several other things, but he's got a lot of hats. So on. But here's God. I am the God of these people. Jesus cares about both of those. So we've got to think about this in terms of our mission. What are some acts of service then that we can do for our neighbors in need, like real concrete, specific things you might think of? And second question. How can these kinds of good works reflect God's glory to them? How do they see God in these acts of selfless service? What are the acts? How do they reflect God? Thoughts? Greg? Spear? So I think this is a little bit more general to that first um, question, but like in order to serve your neighbor, I think it's important to understand like your neighbor's need. Mm -hmm. and in order to understand your neighbor's needs, like you have to actually have a relationship. You know, if they're a very, you know, older person, then a lot of maybe heavy lifting would be very simple for them. If they're a younger neighbor, they might need some like advice on some things in life that they haven't encountered yet, you know, as they get through them. I mean, so I guess the acts of service should sometimes largely depend on, you know, what, what those people need. Right. That's a, that's a great point. I have to have the relationship. And we're going to, in subsequent months, have some lessons on how do we connect with people and build relationships, because that's very much an integral part of mission. Randy? Oh, I'm sorry, Stephen, and then Randy? Um, specific things would be delivering food. You know, neighbor has COVID or something, can't get out. Just either go pick up groceries, deliver meals to them that are cooked, whatnot, helping yeah. them weed their lawn. These type of things that they kind of look back and say, I can't get someone to help me weed my lawn, or put mulch out, or, or move boxes. And it's that type of thing that makes them question, you know, why we're here. Right. Like Greg said, lifting heavy things, which in theory, right, Greg, because I've not ever seen you lift heavy things. <laughs> hey, Rick, David, John Hawk. Um, no, great point. Uh, let me get Randy was next, I think, and then Nettie. As far as like concrete, we, we've got neighbors across the street who don't speak English, 
and sometimes they get scary looking forms in the mail from the government that they're not sure what, what it is. Mm -hmm. So we'll help them translate it. And it's just, you know. Yeah, it's huge. Simple. Yeah, but yeah, when you, you know, when you get something in the mail and it looks like it's from the state and you don't speak that language, you're thinking, oh no, what, what, what happened? What do I need to do? Totally, especially in the current climate when half the stuff is made to look like it's from the government. It's not. It's like, it's just a lie. What's that? <laughs> Let me get, oh, go ahead, Daniel, and then Nettie, and then we'll go, go right here. I can't remember your name, though. Jeremy. 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 After Nettie. Uh, so, so real simple thing is, uh, is, I think, eating together and feeding people. Like, I, so, so, and we've talked a lot about this here, but mm -hmm. so much of the gospel is table fellowship. And I think that is something that we as a church family can do well. Like, we can mm -hmm. sit down and we can eat and be very intentional about, like, sharing life together over a meal and, and that's a that's a small way of serving one another like mm -hmm. here's this thing I made for you eat it and feel better you know um, especially if it's pie but like what you know whatever the thing is like it that that is a unique thing for us right for sure. humanity we're social creatures in that way 100% we can provide all of the physical things to people mm -hmm. but we have to teach them true yeah you know, yeah that's great but they have to be taught 100% that's why we've got to, got to keep what Jesus did, preaching the good news, and it's, the good news has to do with oppression and stuff. It's not just the stuff I grew up thinking was mission. It was. It's probably the most important part, but it's both. You know the first time the word salvation is used in an event in the Bible? You should know this from our class. The Red Sea. Were the Israelites slaves just being told, hey, here's some information you need to comply with theologically. They, they, were, they were being delivered from death. They were enslaved in actual bondage, right? There's an army chasing them, and they're saved from that. Sure, it's a spiritual thing. He takes them out into the wilderness and has a covenant built. he builds with them with the tabernacle at Sinai. They're not just free to go do whatever they want, but they're, all, they're also not just told, hey, you're just off in some theological error. I don't care about your physical plight. That's what salvation actually meant. It was holistic. And our, our mission needs to be as holistic as the Bible's view of these things. So it addresses all of it. But definitely, if it's not about Jesus, if we're not teaching about Jesus, then, then we miss the whole boat as well. So I appreciate Nettie mentioning that. Jeremy, what you got? Um, I'm glad that you said that. Uh, it really makes me think about John 3, 16. Yeah. Uh, how he sacrifices, Lord, uh, the Lord sacrificed himself for our sins. Right. If you go to First John, chapter three, sixteen, mm -hmm. it says almost kind of like the same thing. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> it goes, uh, "We know that real love is because Christ gave up His life for us, and we also ought to give up our lives for our Christian friends." Yeah. It says brothers and sisters mm -hmm. in other uh, sure other uh, Bibles. But then if you go to chapter eight, uh, I mean verse eighteen. Dear, dear children, let us stop just saying we love each other, other. Let us really show it by our actions. It is by our actions that we know we are living in the truth. Mm -hmm. So we will be confident when we stand before the Lord. Even in our hearts condemn us, for God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. Excellent. Thank you, Jeremy. Yeah, I love the way verse 18 reads, and I think this sums it up. This is the ESV, it reads it a little differently, but it says, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. And Jesus' ministry was basically a ministry of, of truth and deeds, if you want to put it that way, or teaching and serving. And the service is sacrificial. 
like Don mentioned in the passage, John 3.16, God gives. He loves so much that he gives. He gives his only son. Good, good stuff. I appreciate that. All right, let's go. Oh, I forgot about this. This is, I just thought I'd work this in because this is our memory verse for right now. Um, let's see. Uh, Nick, you want to hand the mic to Stephen back there? Let him read that for us. Matthew 25, I've got uh, just an excerpt here, 34 through 36, and then verse 40. Then just, the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Given the context of Matthew 25, how, how serious is this that we are people known for addressing the hungry, the hunger of people around us, the thirst, they're strangers, they're immigrants. Um, that's from Leviticus 19. Naked, they need clothes, they're sick, they're, they need visiting, they're in prison, they need visiting, they need help. What's at stake for us personally, like selfishly? Salvation. Salvation. This is a judgment text. And he takes all the nations and puts them before him and divides them into sheep and, and, and uh, goats. I almost said wolves. <laughs> goats can dress themselves like wolves. Um, but the whole, I'm not saying it's the only thing in the Bible, but it's not nothing either. That the whole thing turns on whether that's the kind of people we are. Not just did you teach them the right way to get baptized. That's crucial too. Don't misunderstand me. I just think we've talked about that a lot. And, and if we're out of whack, it's the other way often in our circles. Um, that often gets written off, doesn't it? That's social gospel. Well, it's Jesus is what it is. And service is, is something that, these are, these are part of the good works that show we're serving the light of the world. Okay? All right. Thirdly, also an outgrowth of love is unity. Another signpost that points beyond this dark world to the God that we're serving. And so if people see us and watch us and see good works that lead toward a, a, a unified fellowship, a oneness, um, they can be drawn to, uh, to God. John 17, I know I've used this uh, ad nauseum maybe, but it's, it's, it's so true. John, Jesus in his prayer the night before his crucifixion prays to the Father and he says, speaking of his disciples, the twelve, he says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that is, all the other disciples throughout the ages, that they may all be one, and the level of unity here is insane. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. I mean, how, how unified are, are, are Jesus and God the Father? They're one, actually. They're three in one. You know, it's like a paradox. We can't, it blows our mind. They're so unified. That they may be in us. They're, they're part of that same unity. Why? Why is this important? So that the world may believe that God sent Jesus. That's the gospel. How many times is the unity of Christians in a local church in a class on apologetics or evidences? And yet Jesus, in his last words, says, this is one of the best proofs there is for the truth of the gospel. Just that the people get along. 
Imagine that. Human beings getting along. I mean, we act like that's some easy, that's not easy, it never happens almost. And if we can just do that, especially if we're different, and we tr something, there's some power transcending that, drawing us to something greater, a greater source of identity, uh, you know, that, that's amazing. Contrast that with this passage, Colossians 3.11, where we read that here, that is in Jesus, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. Christ is all. He's all that matters. And he's in all. So however diverse we all are, you know, I mean, we're really diverse. We don't even know how diverse we are because the more we get to know each other, we go, wow, you're really different. You ever, you ever had that? What year is it in your marriage when you go, who are you? You know, um, we're, we're, uh, we've been through the Tim Keller book, The Meaning of Marriage, a hundred times. There's a whole chapter in there called Loving the Stranger because one of the arguments is everybody marries a stranger because the person changes partly because of your influence, other spouse, into somebody different than they were 15, 20, 30 years ago. I mean, goodness, if in our marriages we're diverse, how diverse are we beyond that? Marriages, we start finishing sentences and looking like each other. So, you know, we're kind of converging too. All right. Here's the question. How would real unity in a local church here be a sign pointing to God? Thoughts? Don? Don? Had to raise his hand. Who else? Larry. And then Daniel. Don and then Daniel. And, and uh, who else? And Larry. We've got three. Good. I was going to say just because it would be so uh, markedly different than the rest of the world because of all the disunity. Mm -hmm. I mean, the world is filled with it. There's all, I mean, especially now we live with this age of identity politics. Sure. What, what group are you a part of and, 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 you know, how are you different? It's like the world wants to separate us yeah. into one category or other, but, I mean, the unity within the, the, the Christian family, that, that's something that the world just can't understand. So it points to something. And hopefully that will cause them to ask questions like, why are... Uh, great, excellent. Who, who's next? Uh, Daniel, and then... <clears throat> oh, go ahead, Stephen, if you want one. I thought he had something. Okay. I was just going to say that unity, kind of like Dawn said, is, is by definition selfless. I mean, mm -hmm. you, you have to, like, Unless it, the person just happens to agree with you on a topic, that's just coincidence, really. Mm -hmm. Unity is an intentional decision to say some part of me that or some, some tendency or some belief or some uh, uh, priority that I have, I'm giving up in deference to another person. So, you know, I mean, taking a very concrete thing, you know, all the, you know, you know COVID mess of the last two years, like we could have gone around our, this, this group and people could have handled, you know, some people wanted to wear masks forever. Some people never wanted to wear a mask. Some people wanted everybody to get vaccinated every month. Some people never wanted to get a vaccine. Um, some people wanted to be exclusively on Zoom forever. Some people never wanted to go to Zoom in the first place. But like, that, that's a very like silly way in some ways that we as a church had to like decide how we were gonna be unified, right? So unity says, you know what, here are my preferences, but those are preferences. And like this other person is more valuable to me than some preference that I may have. So real unity, you know, it is unique because that it is selfless and selfless selflessness is really unique because yeah. that's just not how most of us are wired. 
Excellent. Hold on to that thought because we're going to look at a text in a minute that's going to totally back up what Daniel just said. Yep. Larry? I, I think real, real unity, excuse me, real <laughs> unity begins with love. Yes. Same way you talked about a marriage. Mm -hmm. Begins with love. Right. It may not turn into unity for a year or whatever. Yeah. Great. Real. And talking about unity in today's world, we don't have a lot of it. No. Among among countries and sure. everything. Not even in the local congregation. Right. Sorry about my voice. No, you're good. I, I read for Kentucky the other day. Tough, wasn't it? <laughs> good, good. Oh, we got one over here too, uh, Corey. Great, great, uh, great thoughts though, Larry. Really, really good. Yes, sir, Corey. Where, where, you say real unity? I think it's interesting you phrase it that way because I think we can unify around things. We can unify around a cause. We can unify around a country even right. or things. But where real unity comes in is when we're unified around all the things that have been mentioned, around Christ, around love. And what, where that becomes different is when things get hard. Right. And it doesn't just fall apart with the cause. It's divine. It's everlasting. And so it really shines when things are hard. Yeah. Um, and the self-sacrificing and love comes out. And that's where, we're, when it points to God, that's how we reflect. Because mm -hmm. God is with us in the good times and the hard times. Sure. Well said. So look at this. I ask you to read 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17 in either the New Living Translation or the NIV because it more accurately grasps the Greek than, than like the ESV or some of these other, because of the word you in English. Well, I've gone on this a million times. If, you, if you're just reading this in a, word, in a version that says, don't you realize that you are the temple of God? What do a whole lot of people think? I'm a temple. My body's a temple. That's not what he's talking about at all. That's 1 Corinthians 6 he is because it's singular you. But in English, you can't tell the difference. You used to could, you know, when it was ye and you and all that. But now we, we have to say y'all and you guys. So this version, get grasped that. They went out of, the way, out of their way to make it clear. Don't you realize all of you together, which is what the Greek actually is saying, are the temple of God. All, all of us are the temple. That's the point in 1 Corinthians 3. And the Spirit of God is living in you. In the same way that God's glory, His Shekinah, His Spirit, lived in the temple in the most holy place, remember? The pillar of cloud and fire and all that was with them. God lives now in us. He doesn't have a temple anymore that's made out of bricks and mortar. The temple's us. And look at the, look at the warning. God will destroy anyone who destroys this temple. So if you, if you play fast and loose with the unity of a local church, because you can't get over your own hobby, you know, your own pet thing that has to happen your way, and you start causing friction in the local church. We all need to remember this passage. This is God's house. It's not yours. It's not mine. And I'm not talking about this building. This building has nothing to do with anything about this, the scriptures. This is, that's, this is talking about us, our relationships. God will destroy anyone who destroys his temple, for, the, for God's temple is holy, and you, y'all, we are that temple. All right. In practical terms, what are some ways we can foster unity in our relationship within the church? I think we've already discussed that pretty well. Um, does anybody have another thought that hasn't been mentioned yet? Like practically, what can... Yeah, Jeremy? Uh, yeah. Um, you got a mic here. Let, that way people can hear you. Well, there you go, um, just touching on what you're just speaking about, mm -hmm. and everybody together is the temple... 
So whenever one or two speak his name, he is present, mm -hmm. and that's definite. That's it. All right, but one thing that really sticks out to me is if you get out your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 12, he speaks about everybody is a part of the body. Mm -hmm. And not one part of the body can function without the other. Yep. And that is the bond of unity. Yep, that's great. Thank you. Yep, Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. Almost the same thing that we're one body, many members, each has its own it's gift short. or talent or whatever. What's that? Who are you looking at, man? <laughs> that guy is sharp. Okay. No. God's sharp. Yeah. yeah anyway, um, so this goes back to what Daniel and Larry were saying a minute ago. Where do we get, you know, here in Christ there's not Greek? How, how do we keep from let, letting our ethnicity or nation, Greek or Jew, our social class, slave or free, you know, our geography, we're in the Roman Empire, out of it, whatever, all these different, so our language, our traditions, I'm from the South, I'm from the North, I'm a man, I'm a woman, so on. How do we keep that from becoming, those aren't nothing. God made that diversity. But we're, we're not less than First things we are, but we are we're we're definitely more than that. There's another identity higher than that. It doesn't negate it. It includes it and then moves beyond it. Christ is all. He's he's all. All's all, and he's in all. How do we get that though? Practically, what does that mean? That's that's one thing to talk about in theory. But look at this. Put on then. Here, here's what you here's what you wear each day. Here are your traits. Here's the commitment. Here's the conduct. This is the good works that glorify God. Put on then as God's chosen one, holy and beloved. Notice the list here. Compassionate hearts. Somebody's suffering. Maybe they're suffering from something. Who are we compassionate toward? People that deserve it, right? People that look like us and that are close to us. Real compassion. God had compassion on us, and we're pretty different from God. And we didn't deserve it. Put that on, though. Kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Think about this in terms of this church. Patience, bearing with one another. Anybody in this church you feel like you got to bear with? Yeah, i got to bear with your sermons every week, dude. <laughs> okay. I mean, we, we, we have to bear with each other. You don't just go, well, he's annoying. I'm, I'm out. I'm looking for a new church. Just like a shopper in America. Capitalism comes to the Bible, you know, where's a better deal? Where am I more uplifted? Well, how about you uplift some people? How about showing up even when you don't feel like it because we need you it's not just about you And I don't mean when you're physically sick or something. I'm just talking about eh, I'm not feeling it today Bear with us How about even if we wrong each other forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you so you must also forgive and here comes what Larry said and above all these, put on love. Really, unity is just an expression of love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And love means selfless deference and sacrifice to the other person. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. How many of us are letting Christ's peace, which look like these, looks like these character traits, be the sovereign over our heart? Like, that's the ruler of my heart. I submit anything that makes for peace. And he says, you were called to this in one body. We're called in one body. We're not called individually in this text. We're called as one thing. I know in, there's a sense in which it's individual, but there's a lot of texts like this in the New Testament. Um, 
you know, uh, be not conformed to the world, be transformed by the re renewing of your mind. Um, let, each of, let all of you be a living sacrifice. He goes from the plural, all of you, to a single living sacrifice. That's body language, not individual language. That's church family language. And be thankful. Maybe that's the real key. Are we thankful for one another? Can we be thankful for one another when the other person's annoying me? Or saying something that I disagree with? Or never heard before? God forbid I be called to move out of my comfort zone five inches. That's not the end of the world. You didn't always think what you think now. I hope not. If you're studying, maybe you're the smartest person that's ever lived. Anybody ever changed their mind on the Bible? I hope so. It's called growth. So let's be forgiving and bear with one another. And when we do that, when we're characterized by selfless love and deference to one another, we're going to start looking like a people from a different world, which is what we are. We're part of the new creation already. If anyone is in Christ, there's new creation. Let me close with this quote, which Cherie came across the other day on social media, and I said, she, she said, that this looks really cool. You'll probably like it. I was like, I need it right now. This is perfect for this lesson. We sing, right? We've been singing. David's leading us these songs, and there's different parts. There's bass, and there's tenor, and there's soprano, and there's alto, and some of us try to sing parts. And it's beautiful when you've got that chord with the different parts working together. That's the analogy here. This fellow, I don't know who he is, Steve Goodyear or Goodyear, whatever. We don't get harmony when everybody sings the same note. Only notes that are different can harmonize. The same is true with people. Amen. Thank you for your attention today. We're going to sing a song now. If there's anybody here who needs the Lord to come to him in the obedience of faith or needs our prayers, whatever it is, you can come to one of these chairs up front, and we will try our best to meet your needs in keeping with the Word of God. Let's all stand together and sing.